Hi, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks for uh, wherever you made a sharp corner from to be here. If you were uh, warm in your bed in your dorm or you were in your apartment and you had to get in a car and drive here, thanks. It means a lot to be at BASIC. So uh, my name is Carla Chestnut. I used to work with Carter Moore to lead BASIC. So Lang Hall has a really special place in my heart. Uh, one of my daughters came back from college out of state, back to you and I, and re-met the man that she married here in BASIC. So that's really fun. And uh, my daughter and her husband are also part of BASIC, uh, Hope and David Myers. So BASIC has a really strong place in my heart. So have you ever heard of the power pose? The power pose. Okay, good. So it comes from this really groundbreaking research about body language, about our nonverbal communication. And you know, most of us know that almost 80% of what we communicate, we communicate through our body language. That's insane, isn't it? Our body language, our nonverbal communication affects how other people think and feel about us. But Amy Cuddy and her group of researchers discovered something even crazier. Our body language not only affects the way people think and feel about us, it affects the way we think and feel about ourselves. It actually, our body language, how we hold our body, affects how we think and feel about ourselves. Uh, they found that striking, like adopting a really expansive pose makes people feel more confident, more powerful. Now this research was so groundbreaking, it kind of reverberated through the culture to the point where Gray's Anatomy has a little something to say about the power pose, so we're gonna watch that right now. What is happening? I'm being a superhero. Okay. There's a scientific study that shows that if you stand like this in superhero pose for just five minutes before a job interview or a big presentation or a really hard task, you will not only feel more confident, you will perform measurably better. Seriously? Seriously. Powerful. How you actually hold your body has power in this world. Do you guys know, uh, you know moms always tell their kids like, chin up, shoulders back. Now we know why we do it. But look at my daughter. <laughs> look at that, walking down the aisle, head up, shoulders back. She like heard it, she did it. Okay, open your Bibles to James chapter five. James chapter five. So, how you hold your body matters, can make you feel more powerful, it can make you move in the world in a more powerful way. James knows how much unrealized power lives within human beings. He just knows. If you're having a hard time finding James, it's like almost in the back of the book. What is it before? Or what is it? It's after Hebrews. So James chapter five is where we're gonna be. So James knows that human beings are more powerful than they know and they need to adopt an expansive power pose to realize it. And he just uses the word stand firm 
instead of power pose, okay? Stand firm is James' version of the power pose. So we are going to read James 5, 7, and 8. Oh my gosh, I can't even see. So I'm just going to read it off my sheet. All right, you ready? This is 5, 7, and 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. We're going to stop there. The Lord's coming is near is just a way of saying we're not alone. There's more going on here than you are currently experiencing, which is important for the people that James is talking to, and you've heard this. These people are experiencing deep poverty and crushing oppression, and James is just saying, God is here. God is with you. God is for you. It's like James is saying, adopt a power pose. Be like a farmer. He goes on to say, be like a farmer. Take that pose. Watch how the spring, how the crops grow, you know? What kind of a pose does a farmer have? Probably like pitchfork power pose, right? He's holding his pitchfork, waiting for his crops to grow. I think James is saying, you, my friends, are powerful, even though you don't feel it. Stand firm. Adopt a power pose for this journey through life. James wants his listeners to know human beings are powerful. And then he just drives this point home in verse 11 when he starts to talk about Elijah and Job. So he first talks about Job. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And then we skip down to 17 and he says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So that's weird to us, right? Who are, maybe some of us know who Job is, maybe some of us know who Elijah are, but the people who were listening, who were reading, they thought Elijah and Job were superheroes. James is saying to his friends, you think standing firm in difficulty isn't humanly possible. You think Job and Elijah, you think they weren't human, but they were human just like us. And I think us, our modern people, we have the same problem. We have a hard time grasping how powerful we really are, our humanity too. I mean, how many times have I heard like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. mentioned, or some other person that just, it seems superhuman, like Gandhi or somebody like that, and I just think, well, I'm no Mother Teresa. Same thing with James' friends. James thought ordinary people could be superheroes. He believed that his friends needed to learn how to adopt this expansive power pose in the world. James thought ordinary people could be superheroes. Well, I know a few thing about, things about superheroes, strangely enough. We have a 31-year-old son whose name is Nicholas. He has an intellectual disability. He has Prader-Willi syndrome. Nick Chestnut is a superhero in my life. He's taught me more about courage, about strength and joy, 
in the face of pain, adversity, and you know, disappointment than anyone else in the world. It's a picture of Nick. That's how he came into my office on Tuesday. I didn't even stage this photo. <laughs> so uh, not only is Nick my superhero, Nick is obsessed with Spider-Man really obsessed with Spider-Man. <laughs> he collects anything Spider-Man when a new comic comes out. He actually, the guy on the hill, saves the comics in a pull box for Nick so he doesn't miss out on a, on a comic. He has stress balls. He's actually a hoarder when it comes to Spider-Man stuff. Um, if you're familiar with Spider-Man, Spider-Man has a pose. What is it? Exactly right. Very good. I was going to do it. You guys didn't do it better than I would have done it, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but Spider-Man also has a saying about power, about power, and Nick is going to tell you what it is. I love Spider-Man because he is a web-storing superhero. My Spidey says it's tingle and you're David from his Spider-Man, the whip. And what does Spider-Man say about power? With great powers come great responsibilities. Bye, y'all. With great power comes great responsibility. Human beings are powerful. It's true. But with great power comes great responsibility. Our human responsibility is to link our power to a trustworthy foundation, a solid foundation. That is our responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. You have to choose a foundation for your life. What are you gonna build your life on? Hear me say this, okay? If, okay, you are going to build your life on a foundation. It will happen. If you do not choose the foundation for your life, your life will choose the foundation for you. It's just the truth. You will build your life upon a foundation. And if you don't choose that foundation and fight to stay on the foundation and return to the foundation when you fall off, your life and your experience in this world will choose it for you. It's just true. So James writes, he just writes to the people and he wants the people to link their power with God's power. That's what James wants. He believes the best way to use your human power is to link it with God's. This is a firm foundation for your life. So James, you already know that James is the half-brother of Jesus, right? He learned this from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about adopting a pose, standing firm, building the house of your life on a firm foundation. And probably a lot of you have heard this before. It's in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, so you know that's important, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who builds their house on the rock. The rain can come down, the streams can rise, the winds can blow and beat against the house, but it will not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain can come and the, the streams will rise and the winds are gonna blow and beat against that house and it's gonna fall with a great crash. Build 
your house on the rock. Do you, do you feel how active that is? How expansive that is? You can't build your house without taking an expansive pose in the world. And there's two foundations in the story, right? Sarah, bring up my foundations, you guys. If these stay together, it's going to be a miracle. So just be kind to me. Two foundations, right? One of rock, one of sand. This box is brown like sand. So it's the sand foundation. Good, good work. All right. So this is a foundation that lots and lots of people build their life on. I believe not a lot of people actually set out to build their life on sand, but they do it anyway. So we're going to call this foundation the ways of the world, all right? And we're going to say our sentence for this foundation is, I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want out of this life, even if it hurts other people. That's what it means to build your life on this foundation. So have you ever been around two-year-olds? <laughs> yep. Two-year-olds two are in a really strange place in their lives because they're still babies, but they can walk and kick and pull hair and throw stuff and scream. And two-year-olds' main mission in their life is to get what they want, and they don't care if they hurt anyone. Right? It's just true. I have a two-year-old granddaughter, and I love her so much. Her name is Ingrid, but we call her Iggy. And she is super cute. She has huge eyes. She loves her grandpa and her kitty named Toast. <laughs> yep. And, uh, but that, she also has a kitty named Co uh, Kitty Queen Coconut Cutie. So that's good. One minute, Iggy is playing super sweet and cute and funny, and then the next minute, she's just in attack mode. Two-year-olds can be kind of scary. My daughter sent this picture of Iggy this week to me. <laughs> is this normal? <laughs> Toddlers can just be really scary. But you can pick a toddler up and put them in their bed when they're being really scary. <laughs> Grown-ups who build their life on the sand and do whatever it takes to get what they want and it doesn't, they don't care if they hurt somebody, they're scarier because you can't pick them up and put them in bed. James describes the kind of person that builds their house on the sand. And he does this in James 5, one, uh, 3 through 6. We're going to start in 3. James 5, 3. All right? This is James describing somebody building their life on the sand. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. That's a picture of what it means to build your house on the sand, on the ways of this world. Doesn't it remind you of the Hunger Games when you read that? Doesn't it seem like people in the capital? Remember the people in the capital lived in this crazy luxury that was beyond, it was ridiculous, right? With their eyelashes and everything. 
They lived in wealth and luxury while deliberately keeping the other districts in crushing poverty. Now, being rich isn't bad or evil. Okay, we need to be really clear about that. But the Bible over and over again indicates to us that wealth can make your heart shrink rather than expand. Wealth can make you less compassionate. So I was reading a little bit about this, and I came across these researchers who over and over again, as they're doing research, they have wealthier research participants and less wealthy research participants. Listen to this. Seven separate researchers at the University of California have found that upper-class research participants were more likely to lie and cheat when gambling or negotiating. They were more likely to cut people off when driving and endorse unethical behavior in the workplace. Now, this, they go on to say, this doesn't mean affluence makes you evil. It's not that upper classes are cold-hearted. This is what they found out. They believe they are not as adept, they aren't as good, at recognizing the cues and signals of suffering, possibly because they haven't had to deal with as many obstacles in their life. Recognizing suffering in the people around you, maybe even in yourself, is the first step to responding compassionately. Isn't that fascinating? James refers to God over and over, as full of compassion and mercy, hearing the ignored cries of those who are suffering, even when human beings either can't hear it or won't hear it. So James is just saying, the ultimate power pose you can take is a with-God life, living God's way, a with-God life. So foundation number two is God's way. We've already established that human beings are powerful. Is everybody, everything staying up on that rock? Nice. Uh, we are created by God with great power to do great things in this world and the world to come. But truly powerful people know that power well used has to be surrendered. It has to. Standing firm in God's way requires us to internalize that truth. And when we do, we realize that we are not God. That's the main thing that people who can build their life on the rock realize. You will need to surrender your power 10,000 times in different ways in your life. Every day you'll probably find a new way that you need to surrender some power. So listen to how James encourages his listeners to stand firm on the truth that they are not God. This is a little bit surprising. This is the first way that we're going to talk about what it means that we're not God. He says this in verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. You're not going to be judged by God. When you grumble against each other, who judges you? Each other, right? And then he goes on to say, the judge is standing at the door. So the first thing I do when life gets hard is I turn on the people around me. It's just what I do. I find fault in the people I love, and I blame others for the very same things that I do. Can you relate to that? God, James is saying, is the only one capable of judging. He will set things right. Justice will be done. 
The fact that God, the judge, is standing at the door just means that God is the only one who can do the judging. In chapter 4, the chapter before this, in 4.12, James writes, there is only one lawgiver and judge. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Is that kind of surprising? The first thing that goes on the build your life on the solid rock in this piece of scripture is don't judge, don't grumble against each other. The second thing that James points out is um, this other picture of being able to trust God, to trust God with your life, like all of your life, all of it. And this is in verse 13, and he asks this great, he's gonna ask these three great, great questions. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. No matter how bad things get, no matter how scared or sick or guilty you feel, no matter how alone or misunderstood or angry you are, no matter how deep your trouble, no one, no one, no one can separate you from the love of God. You can trust that that is true, not if you have done terrible things, not if you are numb and you just want to feel something, not if you have a huge secret that you're too afraid to share, not if you can't stop gambling or you realize that you no longer have control of your drinking, not if you are so depressed you can't get out of bed, not if you think life is pointless and no one understands or loves you, not if you are so anxious you can't concentrate, you can't sleep, you can't ever relax, not when you can't stop doing that destructive behavior that you both love and hate doing at the same time. There is nothing you can't trust God with. You never exhaust God. You never get to the end of God. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Just tell God about your trouble. He will listen to you. Ask for help. Many people believe just the word help is the best prayer you could ever pray. So adopt your power pose. Build your life on the truth that you are powerful. You're created to do great things. You can trust God if you're in trouble. Then James moves on and he says, in verse 13b, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. What does it look like to praise God when life is good? What does that look like for you? When's the last time you praised God because you were happy? Did any of you guys spend a long time inside today? And then did any of you walk outside and the sun was shining and it was literally warm? It made me so happy. Have any of you tried this drinking fountain over here? It made me so happy. It just like, just powerful. You've got to try it. And sing some praises after you do because it's amazing. Okay? Stand firm on a strong foundation. It looks like this. Remember that everything good, everything good in your life comes from God. And sing some praises about it. That brings us to verse 14. 
Is anyone among you sick? We're not going to read the rest of it because it's long and it's a little bit hard to understand, so I'm going to give you my summary of the rest of James. I think James is saying, get in your power pose, people of God. Get in your power pose. And it looks a lot like taking care of each other. Just take care of each other. Let people take care of you. Let people know what's going on in your life. You can do a power pose on the solid rock along with your brothers and sisters, and nothing will be able to stop you. Not trouble or sickness or anything that's holding you back. You won't be able to be stopped if you get off that rock and get on the sand, if you get off the wrong path, if you have people around you, and you will have something to praise people to praise with when you're happy, which we're going to do in a few minutes. But first, I have five volunteers that are going to come up here, and we're going to demonstrate what it looks like when you have people around you in your life, when you're building your life on this rock. So I need my volunteer that's going to be all by themselves. Very quickly. I will be using violence against you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Come over here. Get in your power pose. Look at me. Okay, you guys stay back for a minute. I won't be that violent. Life will choose your foundation for you, okay? But whatever foundation you choose, there's going to be wind, there's going to be rain, it's going to blow against your house, and it's going to be something like this. Okay? Now, you guys get behind her and get a power pose. Everybody, oh, maybe I got too many volunteers, but just make it work. Make it work, people. Okay, you can do this. Put your hands on her because I'm going to push her again and we're going to see if there's any difference when I push her this time. Wind, rain, streams are rising. Whoa, let me do it again. Whoa, that is incredible. Thank you. Okay, this is what we're going to do for reflection time, okay? You're going to adopt an expansive power pose for two minutes. There's going to be music playing behind it, so it won't be that weird. <laughs> and then we are going to sing some praises together. So you can do your power pose in your seat, like you can put your leg up like this and put your arms back like that. Or you can stand up, whatever it is that you want to do, but just do it now. Power pose time. And I'm going to pray. All right. Get in your power pose, people. And we're going to pray. God, we have no idea how powerful you are. We have some hints when we look at the world around us. We have some hints when we see the amazing gifts and talents in the people around us, like Jacob talked about. We have some hints in the beauty of a sunset or in the mischievous grin of a two-year-old. But God, uh, we know that you took some of your power and you put it in us. And that's the beginning of the story. You made us powerful. God, would you give us the humility and the courage to climb up on the rock-solid foundation of your love? Would you help us to believe the truth that if we don't choose a foundation for our lives, that life will choose it for us? God, we confess that every one of us in this room is wealthy compared to most people in the world. God, would you help us to see where we are numb 
to the suffering of the people around us where we are numb to oppression? Would you help wake us up? Would you help us to know you more by understanding what it means to be people of mercy and compassion? And God, when we stand on both of these foundations, both sand and rock, would you knock us off? Would you make us choose a foundation? Thank you for being with us and for us, not far away, but close as our very breath. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.